1: back again, everybody. It is the Blue Gold Report podcast being brought to you by our good friends over at D.O. McComb and Sons Funeral Homes. Once again, wherever you found us, make sure you share us and rate us and rank us however you see fit, people, wherever you've downloaded the podcast, or if you're listening live on ESPN Radio 1380 at 100.9 FM on your Saturday morning. Don't forget, right after the show today on the radio, we've got Fighting Irish Preview. We're going to preview the Florida State matchup It has a new wrinkle to it now. We're going to have a brand-new starting quarterback we'll go back to the old starting quarterback. We'll talk about Ian Book's injury and what it means for not only this week, but the weeks ahead. Uh, hopefully nothing too alarming there. Um, and we got some basketball. Some wins under our belts now for both uh, for both women's and men's program. Uh, nothing too threatening just yet as uh, they take care of the the cupcakes early in the season. And uh, speaking of that football game this weekend, they are going to wear green on the field. Homecoming out on uh, Notre Dame Stadium. And it's not going to be a very pleasant day for, weather-wise, but uh, it was very clever how they announced they're wearing green on social media. We'll talk about that, too. Uh, we'll also hear from Brian Kelly. His news conference as he was thrown a little curveball. Let's talk to Todd Burlage right now. Todd, uh, nobody really saw it coming. We didn't really get word until midweek that Ian Book had a First, an upper body injury. That's what Brian Kelly's calling it, but once we do dig a little deeper, it's some sort of rib injury, huh?
2: Yeah, he, he's not overly concerned about it. Um, said there's nothing, no kidney issues, it's not a broken rib or anything like that, so Brian Kelly's confident that Ian Book will be ready to go next week against Syracuse, or at least that's what he's saying out on the surface.
1: That's right, and of course, uh, that'll be in New York City, and Syracuse is a top 20 team. that is good. We need him back for that. Now this week, we'll talk about a Little bit more, maybe not as much as you got a warm weather school who's struggling this year coming to a cold weather, and I mean it's going to be cold out there uh, tomorrow night. But they wishing it was a three thirty game, not a uh, a late game. There, Todd. Uh, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that Northwestern win where in spurts they looked really impressive, but once again uh, let a team hang around a little longer than. And we really need necessary, but uh, they got the win, they're undefeated, and they are number three now in the college football playoff rankings, which is where you want to be, because you don't want to play Alabama on that first week. All right, we got all that stuff out of the way. How we normally start the show is getting your blue-gold blue, gu- blue gold nuggets up to date, and Todd Burles is going to do that. Todd, what do you got?
2: All right, got a three-pack, as usual, rag. Start with women's hoops. This was pretty interesting, I thought. All five of the starters... <laughs> Were named to the Wooden, um, the play, Player of the Year <laughs> Wooden joke. Watch List. Enrique um, Ogamboale, Marina Mabry, Jackie Young, Jessica Shepard, and Brianna Turner—all five of them on that watch list. No other team in the country had more than three. UConn had three. Mississippi State, Oregon, Baylor, and Stanford all had two. So, just kind of goes to show you that the uh, Irish certainly deserve that number one ranking there couple other award notes here. Ian Book has been named a semifinalist. He's one of 16 semifinalists for the Davy O'Brien Award. That goes to the best quarterback in the country. The three finalists will be announced on November 19th, and the award will be handed out on December 6th. Chip Long, Notre Dame Offensive Coordinator, he's been nominated one of 53 nominees for the 2018 Broyles Award. That goes to the top assistant coach in the country, which will be handed out on December 4th, Bob Diaco. He won this at Notre Dame in 2012 under Brian Kelly. And the injury report, actually a lot of good news here. Linebacker Drew Tranquil, he was kind of a third-down specialist against Northwestern because of that high ankle sprain he was working through. Brian Kelly said he's good to go. He's going to be an every-down player this week. That's always good news for Notre Dame. And finally, Alizé Mack. He was able to move through his concussion protocol, and he is also back
1: for this weekend. Uh, and those are your Blue Gold Nuggets. All right. Uh, lots to get to as far as the main injury. We'll talk about that and what it means for Florida State. Uh, let's talk about that Northwestern game. Um, Todd, what I liked about it is, to me, the when I was watching the game, it seemed like the light switch seemed to go on for Ian to realize, oh, my God. This is the second half of the biggest game of my life. We need to start scoring some points. The light switch went on, and they scored points right away, and I like that about them. Uh, They did let them creep back in a little bit. What what it seemed like when they knew there was a mountain urgency there, they turned it on when they needed to. We've seen
2: a lot of that this year. You know, Rags, where they kind of let teams kind of sneak back in, but then they've been able to put the hammer down, and those were were, uh, things that we didn't always see from Notre Dame teams. To your point on Ian Book, yeah, first half, Only 7 of 15. We're Hmm. talking about the most accurate passer in the country here. Only 7 of 15, 107 yards. Not real impressive there. Then in the third quarter alone, he goes 11 of 14 for 195 and two TDs. Yeah, that was really the decisive quarter there. Um, And also for the Notre Dame defense, three of their five sacks in this game also came in the third quarter. So that's you're right. That's when they really hit the switch. Um Chase Claypool probably gets my game ball. Eight receptions, 130 yards. That's a name we haven't brought up a lot this nope. year. No, nope. but there he is emerging and having a great game there. Um, and indeed, that is only up... Three with uh, about halfway through the fourth quarter, and that's when Ian Book leaves an 89-yard TD drive. And Um, that's
1: when Miles Boykin came up big, too, with a big catch. And, uh, you know, he didn't have a lot, but uh, the four catches and one for a touchdown, um, definitely the emerging star. Now, their running game still struggled a little bit. Um, You know, uh, Dexter couldn't really get going. He he barely averaged three yards a carry, just under three. Um, But, all in all... Uh, again, it just seemed like when they knew they had to win the game, they won the game.
2: Yeah, for sure. And then the defense really finds a way to hold when they need to hold. And and the way Ian Books playing, you know, he ended up capping that drive. I was talking about that game-winning drive with a 23-yard touchdown scamper. And you know, when you look back at the injury he played through, that that may, I think that makes his performance even more impressive.
1: Yeah, very much so, and their kicker's healthy again too, which is nice. Justin Yoon uh, made a big field goal. Uh, even though he missed one, that's okay. Uh, he did make one. Uh, Todd, uh, Northwestern is a very formidable team. It, it, it was a little bit uh, Notre Dame West, a little bit, but uh, it was still kind of hostile territory. Although I did see a lot of empty seats there. They did in the student section. It was a little odd. Did you notice that one? Uh, yeah, Where they that, actually that... had a conversation about it on the on the on the on the, uh, on the telecast about, hey, don't be fooled. That's all the student section. Well, why aren't they there? Yeah,
2: I was. I was a little bit stunned too. They showed that one camera angle, and I was like, "You just would have never expected that." And it
1: wasn't a miserable night. It wasn't really that cold, to say the least. No,
2: no, I don't know why there was such a disinterest in having the number four, number three team in the country come into your place. You know.
1: Well, well, I ask you this, and and we'll break down the Florida State game uh, in a little bit. But if this game was, uh, if Florida State was more formidable team, their homecoming. They still need to win. They still need to stay undefeated. Does Ian Book play in this game? Ooh, I I I, I think they got a cold weather. They got a warm weather team coming north. They're not playing very well. This is the a time where they could probably afford to rest him if they had to. If this was must win, he's got to play. Would he play? Yeah, I think he probably
2: would have to, and I think he would probably be able to. Just judging by his ability to finish that game, this injury happened in the first first quarter. So because he was able to finish that game and finish it well. Certainly you, you wouldn't think anything would have been complicated since that since the injury happened. So I think absolutely
1: and the good news for them was uh, somebody had to lose that LSU-Alabama game to move them up. I wonder if Alabama loses that game if they get to three or if Alabama only falls to three. That that would have been a very interesting thing. And to have Michigan there as well, uh, very fun to watch that on Wednesday night.
2: Let's table that,
1: Rags, because I
2: want to throw a, a, a hypothetical at you Ooh, at, at the like end of the show. So uh, before we start breaking down the rankings, I'm going, I'm going to cut you off in your tracks.
1: <laughs> All right, well, this Florida State game, before we start panicking that Wimbush is getting the start here, Todd, uh, let's remember they they beat Michigan with Brandon Wimbush as their starting quarterback. Let's not forget that. And and if you look one ranking below us, that is Michigan there, that team that he beat. So maybe we are being a little alarming here because Ian's been playing so well, but at least, at least we have this fallback plan.
2: Yeah, and it's been now six games and seven weeks since Brandon Wimbush played. He's 12-3 and three as a starter, so, if, you know, if you're going to have a bad Backup quarterback. It's nice to have somebody that's twelve and three. That's for sure. Brian Kelly talked a lot this week. He was asking. He was a little salty, actually. I thought Brian Kelly was. I guess you would be too if you uh, lost the <laughs> nation's leading, <laughs> most accurate passer and uh, uh, the, the sixth most efficient passer in the country. Um, uh, but he feels like Brandon Wimbush has been working. He's been staying with it, staying in the game. His head's been in practice, and he's been doing all the things that he needs to do to improve during this time frame. So let's talk a little bit about some of the,
0: what Brian Kelly said was right uh, with Brandon Wimbush. He's gotten plenty of time to think about not being the starter and um, what he needs to do and he's worked really hard on the things that he wants to be better at. He's an incredible competitor and um, he, if he's given the opportunity, um, he wants to stay the starter. So, he's going he's gonna to look back on all the things that he's done, and um, if he's given the opportunity, he'll play really well. The, the offense just kind of moves more towards, um, I mean, he's a good runner of the football, so you're, you're going to see him run the football a little bit, but you, you don't change a, a ton of what we do, you know, other than... What has he been successful at? You know, you maybe add a little bit of that into what you're doing, but your offense doesn't. I mean, I don't think from um, if you watch us play, go, oh, wow, that's a totally different offense.
1: I would love to see them just stay on the ground, ground and pound it, including him. Yeah, the problem with that, Rags, is Florida State, if there's one
2: thing this team does well, it's stop the run. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They're ranked 17th in the country against the run, so a little bit of a weird blend there. Um, as a matter of fact, there's only been one rusher this entire season uh, that had a 100-yard gain, and that was Reggie Gillaspie, uh for NC State. He had 106 yards, and the quarterbacks have not been able to get gone at all on the ground against Florida State. So that's going to be an interesting matchup. I think their defense is so good against the run, it's going to force Brandon Wimbush to make some plays in the air, like it or not.
1: Yeah, and it's going to force, I think the weather itself is going to force the the, uh, offensive line to come up big, because usually when when you're playing in this type of weather, it's the trenches even more so than a normal game that that wins a game like this. Uh, And you got to figure, you know, hey, this is almost an audition maybe a little bit for Brandon Wimbush as well. I mean, he plays well here, and you never know where his future might lie in in, in college football itself. I mean, he's a guy who could go somewhere else and play if he wanted to.
2: Yeah, I think think that's probably, the writings are, are on the wall, so here's your go. You know, it's that. like,
1: hey, uh, hey, uh, recruiters, um, I'm here, I'm gonna play in a big game that we have to win and keep us undefeated. So, you know, the lights are on him, maybe it'll go. You know, he has excelled before, yeah. And, and you know, it's this Florida State team,
2: obviously struggling at four and five, they've lost now three out of the last four, including two straight. But they have a lot to play for, too, Rags. They've been to a bowl game every year since yeah. 1981. <laughs> and at 4-5, and five, um, with a, they play at ND, obviously, this weekend. Then a good BC team they get at home. And then a good Florida team they get at home. So they're kind of scratching and clawing for some bowl eligibility here and some pride huh, for first-year head coach Willie Taggart, who's – Actually, he, he gave up play calling duties for this week, so we'll see how that goes. We'll see if that has any kind of factor on the game.
1: And you got to figure they know history. They know it's the 25th anniversary of the game of the century. Yeah, right. They know all that stuff as well. They're coming into here last time. You know, remember game day started with this game 25 years ago. Yep. It Was all number one against number two. They came into town and did the show. So they're celebrating a 25 year anniversary of game day on this game. So I think <laughs> I think Fuller State knows, much like USC, the final game of the season that this is the. Their yes. Somewhat bowl game if they don't get into a bowl game. Yes, yeah, too
2: bad the the Florida State kind of fizzled this out this twenty five year because this could have been a heck of a football oh God, game. Yeah, I mean consider the Florida State actually started the season ranked number nineteen in the country, um, and uh, they've obviously fallen out of any rankings now. But uh, and then Notre Dame started twelve and moved up to number three. So uh, yeah, there's a lot to that. And you know, if you remember that game, um, that nineteen ninety three game, Notre Dame actually won thirty one twenty four, number two Notre Dame over number one Florida State. Looked like no ND was well on their way to a national title, and the following week they got beat by Boston College. And, and Florida State ended up the national champions after all. So certainly a rich history there.
1: All right, so um, let's talk about uh, uh, Brandon a little bit more here, and I, I want to bring up the fact that the weather. Now we, we've mm-hmm. been talking about it as we, you know, we we taught we see the lake effect that it's going to have on this area. The snow will probably just linger. I, my question you is, how many snow games have there been of any kind of significance at that stadium? I, I know it snowed, but I don't remember any kind of like really major weather event at the stadium. Do you remember one?
2: Not Penn State game. What do they call that? The, uh, uh, that was the big one, yeah. obviously. Yeah, I've seen it snow pretty hard, yeah. yeah but I don't it, rem- nothing really jumps out at me in recent history, right, though. Right, right, right. Because right. that one goes way back when. Well, I don't, and this one's not going
1: to... No, it's the, not going to be a major weather no, event. No,
2: I, I think of everything you want to look at as far as the elements are concerned, I think it's going to be the wind. What yeah. I'm hearing is like 30-mile-an-hour winds.
1: And cold. Temperatures will be in the 20s when yeah. they kick
2: off. Yeah, certainly that would favor Notre Dame. At least you would think so, no doubt about that. But uh, Brian Kelly dismissed it. He said, you know what, hey, we, we play in South Bend, Indiana. It's <laughs> going to be cold. We know it's going to be cold in November. Um, and, and here's a little bit more he had to say about Brandon Wimbush. And, and this is kind of goes to Brian Kelly's level of confidence in, in uh what should we call him? Uh, the, the substitute starter, I guess, because he's 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 done both now.
0: You know, a lot of it was fine tuning some mechanics. You know, and really being, um, you know, just a lot more sound and and look to throw the ball with accuracy. I mean, it's there's a lot of carryover to so many other sports. I mean. You watch pitchers that lose the strike zone, and they come back, and they make a couple of tweaks in a bullpen session, and all of a sudden they're throwing strikes again. I mean, he just needed to make a couple of fine-tuned um, mechanical things, and and he's he's throwing the ball pretty good this week. The quarterback that is that is taking reps for us is a guy that um, you would say uh, is of championship quality. I mean, he's twelve and three. Uh, for a reason. Indeed. And
2: it's it's a nice luxury to have. Mm-hmm. You, you go around the country rags and you look at uh, the other programs. Not too many of them have two very reliable and very talented starters like Notre Dame.
1: And you throw into the fact, you know, we talked about the 25th anniversary of the, uh, of the game of the century for Florida State. Maybe the lights go on a little bit more because they see green jerseys out there. Yeah, indeed. Uh, that's a huge deal. Um, and it, I thought it was very clever. If you haven't seen it on social media, they did a little Rudy-like spoof of uh, putting their green jerseys on in the and the players come in and drop them off on Brian Kelly's desk. Really good, really clever, and they, you can see Brian Kelly really get into it. I liked it a lot.
2: I thought it was cool, too, yeah, and I thought Drew Tranquil did a great job on the acting fun. Yeah, I too. thought so,
1: too. Nobody's going to win any Oscars, but you know
2: what? <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't too bad. There's a lot of history to these green jerseys. I thought I'd give you a quick lesson here. If you remember Dan Devine back in the day, he almost always wore green jerseys. He's the one that brought him out for that 77 classic uh, the, the, against USC uh, with the Trojan horse and all that. That was kind of really the start of the green jersey. Well he liked it. He liked the result of that game so much in '77. Since they ended up winning the title, he basically played in nothing but green jerseys. Uh, and he went up thirty-two, nine, and one in the forty-two games that he had him. Now, what was interesting is Divine obviously took over uh, for Era Parsijan, and Parsegian never once wore green jerseys in his eleven seasons here. He he just wanted the more traditional hmm. uh, traditional look. And then uh, you go to Jerry Faust. He went 2-0, actually. Uh, 83 game against USC, and then uh, another one against USC. Those were a bit of a surprise. I think the one they actually just uh, did the second half in the green jerseys. Lou Holtz, he was 1-1. One one, uh, pulled him out in the 1992 Sugar Bowl versus Florida and came out at thirty nine twenty eight 39-28 winners. Those were actually white jerseys with green numbers, so a little bit of a tweak there. Uh, and then lost in the nineteen ninety five Fiesta Bowl to Colorado, lost forty one twenty four, and he ditched them. He ditched the jerseys after that. <laughs> I would have too. <laughs> Bob Davie gave him a whirl one time in the ninety nine Gator Bowl, uh, and the Irish lost that game thirty five to twenty eight. So he didn't try that again. I think the well, one that sticks out to me more than anything is because after that Davy game, they were on mothballs here. And in 2002, November of 2002, a rookie coach by the name of Tyrone Willingham had just come off a big upset against Florida State. I think they are ranked number 4 in the country at the time. They were undefeated. A lot of national title talk. And he whipped out the green jerseys for a home game against Boston College, and they lost. They lost that game. And from that point on, Tyron Willingham was only thirteen and fifteen for the rest of his
1: career <laughs> at Notre Dame. So it didn't work out so well for him. I uh, just remember the Charlie Weiss, the Bush push. I mean, that was yep. the one that I saw it for the first time with my own eyes. Yep, exactly. Yep, and that was
2: a surprise there. That was two thousand five, and then uh, Charlie Weiss actually did it two other times. Beat Army, and a big deal. I think that uh, that was just some sort of celebratory thing they did here at home. I believe that was a Senior Day thing too, similar to what Brian Kelly's doing. And then 2007 against USC, the Irish lost 38 nothing. So that's the biggest route in a green jersey in history. Brian Kelly's used him a few times, mainly for the Shamrock series. right? And then they used, uh, I think, the white with the green numbers up north at Michigan. And that's the only time he's lost in these. So uh, it's been pretty good luck for Brian Kelly. I believe he's 4-1. and one.
1: I think they look pretty sharp. I wish they did it a little bit more. But I guess they would take away from the lore of it all if they wore it all the time, mm-hmm. like Devine was doing. Uh, yeah. But, uh, all right. So you, you said you had some hypotheticals for me about these rankings now, which I I, I don't know about you. But I get jazzed up for them during the week when they do this. I know it's silly, but you know what? I like it. And especially when you got a Big Ten school in the mix now, too, it's a lot of fun.
2: Yeah. And I think what's interesting to me, the one I want to throw at you, because I'm intrigued by it, I had a pretty good debate with a buddy of mine. Um, if Georgia and Michigan. Win out, okay? Obviously, Georgia would have to beat Alabama in the championship They both win their conference championships, right? Um, But Georgia would have to play Alabama. Mm -hmm.
1: Alabama's
2: not going to get kicked out of the top four. Unless they lose twice, which is not going to happen. Which is not going to happen, okay? So Georgia beats Alabama in the SEC title game, and Michigan wins out, ends up beating Ohio State and winning the Big Ten, okay? Even if Notre Dame wins out, and then Clemson does as well, can you see a scenario
1: where Michigan and Georgia get in and Notre Dame doesn't? Even no. an undefeated Notre Dame team? No, I don't. Because who's the who's the fourteen knocking them out? Michigan, because they they end Big Ten champions. But it, they're already there. So you got they're already in.
2: Georgia would be the. Oh, you're would worried be, about Georgia winning uh, yeah, I'm the. Sorry. the uh, yes. I'm sorry,
1: I got you. I got you. I'm up to speed. I was thinking um, if, if
2: Georgia beats Alabama, I think that's the one game that the Notre, fam, Notre Dame fans have to worry about. Right. It.
1: Here's the problem I have. Head to head, you know we. You know, And I don't want to hear somebody say, well, that was a different Michigan team. Well, duh, that was a different Notre Dame team. We had a different quarterback at the time when they won that game, too. So, so you that, can't find a scenario where Michigan ends up kind of leapfrogging Notre Dame. Listen, can it happen? Yeah. Will it happen? I don't know. Now, if it was any other program, and I know people don't like to hear it, it's Notre Dame, and they've got the brand, and there's no way they would knock them out because it is Notre Dame. But I think there is something to that. I think to sure. knock Notre Dame out, for, for even though Michigan has a pretty big darn brand, too, Uh That'll be interesting. That you're right. You do bring up a scenario there because you know you know you figure Clemson wins out, they go on, and then Alabama, unless they lose twice, Georgia will be hanging around. I think you he, got you got to put Georgia in. You don't you just don't have a choice. Really, especially if like they to, beat Alabama and yeah. do it, yeah. You, you,
2: you kind of it comes down to that Michigan versus Notre Dame, and I suppose the head-on head matchup it better count for something, even though it was opening game. I don't
1: care. <laughs> that should mean something. That, that you're totally <laughs> negating in the regular uh, season. Agreed. You do something like that. Agreed. But they, you know they talk about they like conference
2: champions and all True. this stuff. You know, I think the one thing that does work in Notre Dame's favor now is that Syracuse is pretty darn good yeah. this year. They're number yeah. 13 yeah. in the playoff poll. 7-2, and two, neutral site game. So I think that really does... You may not want Syracuse well, not, to be good, but I think that works to Notre Dame's advantage.
1: And not only is it head-to-head... But they beat a top a playoff team. They beat Michigan, the team that you're talking about. They beat them. That's another that's another notch on their belt. That counts for something, you know. It just doesn't make any sense. I've heard that a number of times this week about how uh, Michigan would leapfrog them, and I'm not not even thinking Georgia could surpass them as well. All this could be moot because I don't really think anybody's beating Alabama exactly, anyway. Right. <laughs> but it, it does bring up an interesting scenario, but a fun one. I I, I like these conversations. I, I think they're fun and and they're they're very helpful debate too. They're healthy de- debate. Um, and I, personally, I'm glad Michigan's there. I, I kind of think that's a lot of fun, especially considering uh, that they've played each other already. So, uh, it, 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 listen. A lot can still happen. There's three weeks left, sure. and, and I mean, we have got some work to do. Yeah, uh, people are calling this a potential trap game, and there could be. You got two pretty big games coming up, uh, especially one next week. This one they got to win. There's no doubt about it, Todd. This one they got to win. Uh, they all got to win all three of them, but this one they can't trip up at all. No, they, I, they need I, a no doubter.
2: Yeah, I, and I don't. I don't know if style points would even matter moving forward for Notre Dame. Uh, you know, even when we're given that scenario, I don't know if Michigan just starts rolling everybody like they really have been. Um, I don't know. I just don't know. I can't get in the committee's brains here, because um, and, and, they always say, well, we want the best four teams playing right now in the country. So that suggests maybe style points do matter. I don't think it should have to for an undefeated team, though.
1: And this will go back to that argument, too, that uh, Brian Kelly and the, and the program doesn't want to hear. People will shout it from the rooftops if they don't make it in. This is what happens when you're not in a conference. This is, you know, this is what happens when you're not in a conference. Because if you don't get in, even as an undefeated team, because you didn't win a conference championship, that'll be a major red alert for this program. And I wonder how they would react to something like that.
2: Yeah, that last weekend, out of sight, out of mind. You know.
1: Yep. You never know. And you got Georgia beating Alabama on the big stage. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's scary to think about. Let's not go there yet. We, you know, let's go to basketball real quick, <laughs> and we'll go to our predictions on what's going to happen this weekend before we sign off. Uh, all right, Notre Dame men. Business as usual. Everybody's scoring. Yeah, you know yeah. they're, they're spreading the ball around. Uh, they've got a couple of young players that are playing really well. Uh, what what have you? What have we learned here from the first two games? That the competition they played isn't very good. <laughs> That's an understatement. Is it <laughs> Illinois, Chicago, and uh, Il-
2: yeah, Illich and Chicago State, yeah. of windy city schools. Yeah, mo- most recently Chicago State an eighty nine sixty two win. That was a little honorary because it was only 40-35 Notre Dame at halftime. Uh, so they put it on a pretty good second half, 49-27 uh, for that half. It's nice to see Elijah Burns yeah. uh, come up uh, big. Career high, 15 points in only 17 minutes. Five to six shooting. His previous game, his previous career high was seven points. Um, so he pretty much shattered that. Uh, you mentioned a uh, freshman Nate Luzuzki. Yeah. yeah, he had 12 points. DJ Harvey, 11. TJ Gibbs, 10. The bench outscored, uh, Notre Dame's bench outscored Chicago State 44-3. to
1: Again, Lazuski had two good games. Those, yeah. Both games were pretty solid.
2: Yeah, moving back a couple of days earlier on Tuesday night, Notre Dame beat Illinois Chicago 84 67. Again, Lazuski had 12. Robbie Carmody, another freshman, had 11. Uh, DJ Harvey, John Mooney, and another freshman, Dane Goodwin, they all had 10 points. Notre will return to action Wednesday against another high-powered team, Radford. The Gotham Classic. Yes, indeed. Sounds more
1: important than it is. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure.
2: Uh, the women are actually opening play as we are recording this, yes. as a matter of fact. They play a weird Friday afternoon game. Havid. Yeah, Havid. And that moves into the pep rally at the ice, uh, Compton Ice Arena. And then after that, you head back to Purcell Pavilion for a little volleyball tonight. Oh, wow, fun. Yes, against NC State. There you go. Hockey. Hockey. They split with Ohio State last weekend. They will play at Michigan this weekend in a rematch of the Frozen Four semifinals. That is Friday and Saturday, that little uh Double hatter action.
1: And i tell you, the turnout over there was fantastic for the weekend for Ohio State. It's good to see the community get behind that team, as well as the football teams and basketball teams. Uh, They're definitely... They're fun. Yeah, they're fun to watch. It really is. Hockey's one of the best sports to see live, period. Definitely. End of sentence. All right. uh, Football. Night game. Cold weather. Florida State coming to town. Backup quarterback for Notre Dame. What does it all mean, Todd? I think the offense slows down a little bit. It was interesting because when the book news broke, the line for Notre Dame, the
2: actual game line didn't move much. Only about a point and a half. Um, so Notre Dame's still right around, floating around, a three-touchdown favorite in this game. But the total, the over-under, dropped quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was kind of interesting. I think Notre Dame's defense gets this done. I like the Irish
1: 24-10. to 24-10? I'm thinking more of a... 28 to 7 game. No field goals. It's gonna be too crappy. Just go (laughs) go for it on fourth down. Just go for it. 28 to 7. I like a victory. As well, and uh, Wimbush has a serviceable game. Yep, nothing great, but uh, nonetheless, I think they'll be okay. Needs to take uh, care of the ball, man. That's it. Yeah, that's, that's, that's really the it, because that's the key to Ian Bo- Ian Book is the, the the consistency and the accuracy, right? And that's what you know. It's funny how one person's strength is the other person's weakness, and and I think that's what scares people the most about having Brandon Wimbush in there. Of course,
2: yeah, I, absolutely. I mean, what is I, I'm working off the top of my head? I think he has maybe one or two touchdowns and four picks this year. He's only throwing 55%. So uh, uh, it goes to your point very well, Rags. Uh, When when you start putting him up against Ian Book's efficient numbers, certainly he does not stand up.
1: No, and what do we say about uh, when Notre Dame is uh, favorites at home?
2: Yeah, look out. Yeah, mm. Just for what it's worth, Ian Book has
1: 15 TDs and four picks. Yeah, so that, that's pretty good. Yeah, really good. <laughs> Last time I checked, I'd take that any day. All right, Todd, we got another one in the books. We'll do it all over again next week. Don't forget, D.O. McComan Sons brings you the Blue Gold Report. I forgot to introduce Todd, uh, like I always do. Great writer for Blue Gold Illustrated, by the way. Does a lot of great stuff in the programs if you go out to the football game. i I, I got to give you your due, Todd. My apologies. I usually... Start out the show with that. We'll end the show that way. How about that? (laughs) Sounds good, brother. Uh, Rate us and review us wherever you found us. And don't forget, if you're listening on the radio, up next is the Fighting Irish preview with Phil Houck and Tim Priester right here in the Blue Girl Report. Oh, yeah. Have a great
0: weekend. This has been a presentation of Opt-In Productions.